starting off here with what I would like to call the great permission. This is what I'd like to say. I'd like to introduce it in this way. I want to share this with you guys. I want to share this message, message with you guys this morning for this reason. I see in myself a certain kind of passivity that is ungodly at times. Something that I see within myself, a, a tendency to sit back and to wait or to make excuses or to, to look for some other opportunity, something, looking for something, the sense of lack that I see within myself as if, as if I am somehow missing something that prevents me from really being capable or competent or, or able you know, to participate in those things that God is calling me to do. And so it's like as if, as if I'm waiting on someone or something or some, some event or, or, or something to happen. I make some sort of an excuse as to why I'm not really capable or competent or able or it's not the right time or I don't know this or I don't know that or I might step over some boundary. Or I'm a, I make some sort of an excuse as to why I would not actively participate in the things that I know God has made clear to me. This is the next step I want you to take in my walk with you, son, right? God would clearly communicate, you know, in some way what, what I believe would be his next step for his will in my life. And then for some reason, I find myself not doing the thing that making an excuse for not doing why I didn't do what I believed that God asked me to do. And so since uh, I'm a man and we're all men, and one of the things that I've learned over the years is that we're really not that much different, that if I observe this discrepancy in my own life, there's a high probability that it's present in the lives of other men too because we're really not that much different, right? We're just men. And so Likewise, the reason why I share this message with you is the things that I've put together here to communicate with you are the things that God is doing in my life to help me overcome this obstacle that I see in myself, this passivity that I see in myself that I would say is not godly. You know, I'm not saying that it's not, it's not appropriate at times to wait on God or you know, to, to have right time to honor people. There, it's, it's a tension that we have to balance. But there are times when I fall onto the sinful side of passivity, all right? And so a couple of things that I, you know, that I like to say is that, uh, you know, uh, may, you know, like we've heard this, is make hay while the sun shines, boys. <laughs> it, this is the time. Uh, another one is, I love this, uh, the couch is the place where dreams go to die, right? That can, that, that, Someone, I didn't coin that phrase. Somebody else said that, and it has convicted me for three years, probably. I've sat on my couch and thought about that for three years, man. <laughs> the couch is the place where dreams go to die. Look, I, I don't want to do that. See, th this is, I call this the great permission. I learned this from a guy named uh, Will Mancini, but he, he said this. We're, we're as, as believers, dear God, please, I hope that we are all familiar with the great commission. Right, so the Great Commission, Matthew 26, 18, we are commissioned by the Lord to go into all the world and to make disciples, right, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is the Great Commission. We've all been commissioned by Jesus Christ to go into all of the world and make disciples. We know that. Every, every Bible teaching church 
in the world knows the Great Commission, right? We're, we would, it's, it's all of our, it's every church's mission statement. You, you're, you'll, you would be hard-pressed to find a Christian church that does not have the Great Commission as the mission statement for the church. Right? We all know that this is what Jesus has told us to do. Go into all the world and make disciples, right? But what we don't talk about enough, I think, is called the Great Permission. We know about the Great Commission, but we don't know about the great permission. And the great permission is that um, the Bible's more like a, a, a building code than a blueprint. So do you understand the difference between a building code and a blueprint? If, if, if it was a blueprint, if the Bible was a blueprint, then it would be wrong if any church looked different than any other church. So, because if you build according to a blueprint, it tells you where to put everything. Right? The blueprint tells you where everything goes. Right? This goes here, that goes there. You, you, if we build according to a blueprint, it's like a cookie. It's assembly line. Everyone looks the same because we built according to the blueprint. But the, but the Bible's not a blueprint. The Bible is a building code. A building code's completely different. A building code says there are certain things that should be in every building, and there's certain, certain things that should not be in any building. Outside of that, use the purpose of the organization to determine how you'll build your building, right? So what we find then is every building in the city of Amarillo is built according to the same building code. Maybe they've modified it or changed it over years, but in theory, every building in Amarillo has been built according to the same code. There's certain things that should be in every building. There's certain things that should not be in any building, right? Now then, all the variety is expressed because you have permission to build according to the code, according to the purpose that you have for building the building. Same thing with us. We've been commissioned to go into all the world and make disciples, but we have permission to do that any way that we want, as long as we make sure that we include some things and never include some things. <laughs> you make sure that you do these things, and you make sure that you never do these things. Right? According to that code, then you have permission to go. So it's like for me, what I observe is that there's in me something that says, I wish someone would tell me it's okay for me to do this. And what I'm telling you this morning is you've got permission. He already gave you permission. Right? In, in, the, in the sermon, on, not sermon, on, but in the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 26, Jesus Christ gave you permission to go into all the world. You've got permission to do it. In fact, you've been commissioned to do it. Well, how will I do that? However you want. I don't care how you do it. He doesn't care how you do it either. That's why there's such a variety. Right? That's why there's such a, that's why there's such a, that's why there's, there could also be a variety because we're all human and we make mistakes. Right? We've got our own variety of mistakes here, just like the church down the street has their own variety of mistakes down there. Right? We just happen to like our mistakes more than their mistakes. Right? Whatever. Right? There's, I, I concede that some of the diversity that we see may not be according to plan, okay? Right? But it's also not a reason for us to stop going. Does that make sense? We have permission to do it. And you know what? The church down the street has permission to do it different than we do. It's okay. They're going to reach people that we don't reach because they do it different than us. Praise God, man. Do it. Get her done, man. I mean, we can't fit everybody in. Right? Amarillo don't fit in here. No matter how many services we have. Right? 
We can have we can have a service every hour, every day a week. And all of Amarillo coming to harvest. So somebody else go get her done. Right? I'm, get back to you. So what I want to do is I want to take some time to help you to see and, and hopefully to inspire you to get off of the couch and onto the streets in some way. And, and, and don't misunderstand me. I do not in any way think that speaking or teaching or preaching or worship leading or anything like that is more holy than selling insurance or farming or crop dusting or teaching or or uh, police officering, electrician work. I don't I don't believe that I don't believe there's I, I'm I do not believe not one bone in my body believes that what I'm doing right now is any more holy than what you do when you leave this place. Right. I don't believe that I'm any more immune to corruption here than you are there. Right. I don't believe that I'm any more prone to holiness here than you are there. Right. This is just that this is just an opportunity for me to present the gospel like you'll be given an opportunity to present the gospel when we walk out of this building. Right. So you're going to get the opportunity to do it there. I'm getting the opportunity to do it here this morning. All right. But no matter what we do, this is what the scripture says. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it as if unto the Lord. Right. What does that mean? It means that whatever your job is, act like God's your boss because he is. Right. This this is the way to say this whole earth and all that contains belongs to God. Every square inch, every single job. Every single thing is to give glory to God, right? It is, I'm off track here a little bit, but it is um, any, any time, look, but you would not have a job if your job did not serve people or make this world a better place. Right? You wouldn't have a job, right? I guess there's some corruption, some sin and stuff like that. There's some people that are employed by doing things that are not productive. That's called, that's sinfulness, but for the most part, for the most part, all right, I hope, dear God, please, it's not, it's not a promise, but hopefully all of us are participated in, in legal, moral activities when you leave this room, okay? It may or may not be true. I don't know what you're going to do when you leave the place, but I'm assuming that at least most of you are employed, gainfully employed, in doing something that's both moral and legal, okay? But uh, I don't know. We'll see. You know, whatever. If not, change. Because there's plenty of opportunity for you to be provided for by God by participating with him in activities that are both moral and legal. Okay? So, so you could, you, if that's not you, you could change. Listen to me, though. This is, what I'm, this is the point that I'm trying to make. Okay? So this the whirlwind that goes in my brain. But listen to me. This is the point that I'm trying to make. If you are part of an occupation that has a purpose of improving someone's life or making this world a better place, then I believe that you are participating with God in his redemptive plan. That you have vision for how to make this world or people better, then you are participating with God in the removal of the curse and the redemption of the earth. So you have a choice then, how are you going to do your job? Just like every pastor has a choice as to how they're going to do their job. There's plenty of corrupt pastors out there. There's, you know, I wish it wasn't true, but you know what? The pastor is filled by men. The pulpit is filled by men, and men either worship God or don't. You know what I mean? They're, they're going to make a choice, 
right? Just the same thing as you're going to make a choice whenever you go to your job. You're going to make a choice as to whenever you put your hand to do some work, will you do that in a way that honors God or will you do that in a way that dishonors? Will you appreciate the things that you've been given or will you depreciate the things that you've been given? So your, your work is an invitation for you to participate with God in a redemptive plan. It's, it's, it's holy if you make it holy. So I'm saying no matter what you do. All right. So I, I want to, to kind of share these things with you from a biblical perspective in a way that I hope will inspire you. So maybe, maybe I could just stop right there and ask, you know, about it, but I, I guess I'll spend more, more time here. I'm, I want to I combine a couple of thoughts here. This is still on the Great Permission. Daniel 7 and 1 Samuel 17. I want, we're going to try to weave these things together. I want you, as I read Daniel 7, I want you to think of what I'm saying, and then we're going to talk about 1 Samuel 17. That's the story of David and Goliath. And I'm going to say that both of these stories are pointing to a reality that was fulfilled for us in Christ. So, so as I read these things, be thinking about the work that Christ did and see what this means for us. Okay, so uh, in Daniel chapter 7, verse 11, Daniel's having this vision of some crazy stuff, some animals and different stuff like this. In verse 11, in my opinion, it gets really clear. Daniel chapter 7, verse 11 is what it says. Then I kept looking because of the sound, because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking. And I kept looking until this beast was slain and his body was destroyed and it was given to the burning fire and as for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away. Listen, but their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed time. So their power was taken away, but there, but there, there was a there was a great there was a grace period. It says, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed time. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the son of man was coming and he came listen to this where did he come and he came up to the ancient of days look where are we wanting christ to come we're wanting him to come down to the earth but what does it say but he came up to the ancient of days now when did he do that the resurrection right what does it say and I kept looking in the night visions, and one, behold, one with the clouds of heaven, one like the sand was, son of man was coming, and he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and men of every tribe and language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Let's find out here what it says. Okay. I kept looking. This is verse 21. I kept looking and that horn was waging war with the saints. And he was overpowering them until the ancient of days came. Where did he come? He came up. And judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one. And the time arrived whenever the saints took possession of the kingdom. 
this is such an incredible passage to me. Do you see what he's saying? Here's what he says. He says, I saw this vision, and there was this, there was this beast and a whole bunch of other beasts, and they were waging war with the Most High, and, the, and they were waging war with the saints, and they were winning with the words of their mouth until one like the Son of Man came. And he came up, and then it was given to him power, authority, and dominion, and he granted a judgment on behalf of the saints of the highest one, and it became time for the saints to take possession of the kingdom. Now's the time. Say, so people ask you a lot of different times, if you could go back in history and you could meet someone, who would you like to meet? You know who I, I would love to meet? I would love to meet the person who made the decision to call before Christ B.C. and after Christ A.D. I would love to meet that dude. Whoever figured that out, I would like to meet that guy. I'd like to have lunch with this guy because he got it. You know what? B.C. means before Christ, right? A, you know what A.D. means? Anno Domini, the year of the Lord. You know what that means? That means that ever since Jesus Christ died, it's the year of the Lord, baby. It's the year of the Lord. What is today? 2018 AD, the year of our Lord, 2018. What does that mean? That means this is the 2018th opportunity for the saints to take possession of the kingdom of God. Because this is the year of the Lord. And it's going to remain the of <laughs> perpetually. Why? Because of the death, burial, resurrection, ascension of Jesus Christ, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the saints. This is the time. You have permission. What in the world are you waiting for? Right? That's, that's the point. So let's, let's look at this then, and I won't, I won't go through all the stories, but you hear this story, Daniel 7? Let's, let's go back to 1 Samuel 17. And retell the story of David and Goliath in the same way. Now imagine this story. This is what he says. There came this time in a place called Gath or something like that. There came this time where the people of Israel and the Philistines gathered up together in their army. And they came up to do battle. And the, and the people of Israel were on one mountain. And the people of Gath were on the Philistines were on another mountain. So, so look, the people of God, the saints of God were on one mountain. The beast, the Philistines were on the other mountain, and this one beast, Goliath, came down and he waged war with the people of Israel with the words of his mouth. And he was winning for 40 days. For 40 days, he would come out and he'd say, hey, if any of you are mad enough to come and fight with me, let's get it on. Right? Come on. And he, and he waged war, and it said that all the people of God sat there intimidated and did not engage in the battle. I don't understand this, is that why for 40 years, if you've got the high ground and he's in the valley, don't they got some archers or something? I mean, this is a pretty repetitive cycle. Why in the world, this is a rabbit trail, but why in the world would we allow our enemy to dictate the terms of engagement to us? Right? Well, I don't know why they didn't just fill him full of arrows, man, but I guess it was so that he could portray stuff like this so that, right, so that we would understand what Christ did, right? You know me, but... I think they should have filled him full of lead, man. You know what I mean? Like on day four, like day 18 or something. You know what I mean? Somebody should have pumped him full of, I don't know. That's why I think, right? I guess watch too much Tombstone or something, you know? Anyway, I would probably, I would have been, I would have been just like them. I would have been shaking in my boots, right? Scared to death because this Goliath was dictating the terms of engagement, right? But listen to the parallel. This one was waging war with the words of his mouth, and he was winning 
until one like the Son of Man came. So David comes, right, a type of Christ. David comes, and he says, who is this to taunt the armies of the living God? He says, no, you know what? Today, we're going to feed his body to the birds of the air. I'm going to take his head, right? And so he did. Now look what happened. Listen to me. What happened when David defeated Goliath? The Philistines fled, and the Israel was empowered to advance the kingdom of God. And it says that they advanced the kingdom and they plundered it and they, they chased them from here to there, right? They pursued them. So these people who were formerly passive and inactive due to the accusations of a, of a big mouth, right? That this person, that the, that the accusations of this big mouth uh, intimidated them and they never, they were dressed up for battle but they never fought because this guy was accusing them and intimidating them and speaking lies to them until one came and took his head. And when he took his head, then they were empowered to fight and they fought and they won because it was now, it was time for them to take possession of the kingdom. Why? Because, just like Daniel 7 says, because that one had been judged and the time came for them to take possession of it. Do you see the parallel there? They were empowered. When they saw Goliath fall, they were empowered to fight the fight. They were already equipped to fight. They became empowered to do it. And they did. They pursued it. Now, here's, here's this. It says, and so in Daniel 7, so an extension of life was given to the beast, right, while it became time for the saints to take possession of the kingdom. So here's what I, this is what I like to see, is that as those Philistines fled and the people of Israel pursued, they caught them every once in a while, and there was an engagement. And I'm assuming that there were some Israeli uh, casualties in those engagements. I don't know if there was or not. I don't don't remember the details that well. But what I'm saying is, even though they were defeated, and they were empowered, and they pursued, and they engaged, that there was adversity. (laughs) I don't think, I think there was majority victory, right? Minority casualties, but there was conflict. You see that? There there was adversity. Are Are you tracking with me? Now watch, parallel with Christ. The very same thing happened. There is an accuser of the brethren who accuses us before God both day and night, but he's been defeated. He was defeated at the cross. And if you've seen what the cross means to us, then we would be empowered to advance the kingdom. That Their dominion has been taken away from them and an extension of life may be granted to them for the appointed time. But judgment has been passed in favor of the saints and it's time for us to advance God's kingdom. So it's time. You have, that's what I'm trying to say, you have permission. You don't have to wait. If, if you see Christ crucified, resurrected, and the Holy Spirit poured out, then there's no more empowerment than that. You're not going to have a better experience than to see Christ crucified, resurrected, ascended, and the Holy Spirit poured out. If that don't, it's like Brad Snowgrove says, if that don't light your fire, then your wood's wet. I don't, I, there's, nothing, there's nothing else. 
It's like, it's like Jesus talking to the guys and said, to Lazarus, remember Lazarus and the rich man, and the rich man goes to hell, and Lazarus goes to heaven, and he says, man, please, just, just send Lazarus or someone else back from the dead to tell my brother. He says, sorry, man, they've got Moses and the prophets, and if they don't listen to them, they won't listen, even if someone's sent back from the dead. Sorry, dude. They've got every opportunity that they need to get inspired and to do this work. The opportunity's present. There's no, there's no excuses for us. But we make them. I make them too. So I'm saying, I'm, I, am, I am sharing with you the things that help me get off of my butt and participate with God in his redemptive plan from this world. And if it weren't for this, I would lay on the couch and play Clash of Clans and Vision would die with me too. So I'm saying, oh, y'all don't know nothing about that, okay? But whatever. You know, I don't know what your sin of choice, I don't know what your passivity of choice looks like, but that's, you know, golly waste it. All right, so now we're going to go from the great permission to the icing on the cake. All right, so let's go with me to Romans chapter 5. And while we're going there, any questions, any comments, any concerns? Am I saying some of you guys, I mean, I know it's on my heart, but you said like sometimes, you know, <laughs> it's like the, like you ever drink water from a water hose? You know, sometimes you get the taste of the water hose in your mouth. You know what I mean? So it's like, like we're here for the water, and we want to eliminate the taste of the water hose. So for a second, let's have any questions, any comments, any concerns, anything that I'm saying that's unclear or sounds like heresy or, you know, you're like, golly, what did we get up for this for? You know, so like before I shift gears to part two, comments, questions, concerns? It's crystal clear. We're pumped up. You're just like, Chris, we should shut up, pray for us, let's go. <laughs> I hope that's true. Romans 4, you're going to love, Romans 5, you're going to love this. This blew me away. Okay, so look. So we have permission to go into all the world and to participate with God in his redemptive plan. Okay, no matter where you go or what you do, the opportunity is present. No matter what your job is, whether you're employed or retired, it doesn't matter. Okay, you have the opportunity to advance God's kingdom today as you go into all the world. Wherever you go, go and make disciples. Okay, you've got the opportunity to do that. And, and it doesn't even have to, God, I hate this, that we are so hardwired to think that means you have to have a Bible study at work. I'm just saying do your job well. That's all I'm saying. I ain't even talking. To, I'm, I hope that you share your testimony and stuff. I share your testimony. I, I'm, not, I'm not expecting your workplace to become a church like Sunday. We've already got a Sunday morning service. We don't need another Sunday morning service at your workplace. If you have one, it's great, but that's not what I'm asking for. What I'm telling you is that your job serves a purpose that makes this world a better place, so go do your job well. That's what I'm saying. In, and you're, that's holy. It's holy. I don't care what you do. It, does, it doesn't matter to me what your job is. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it as if unto the Lord. Okay, so we have permission to go into this world and make disciples. So now watch. So then why don't we do it? Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 1. I'm gonna, this, now this is the icing on the cake. And I'm, I'm really going to share with you a, a very big reason why I think, I, th I think that this is a near fatal flaw in the way that we are doing church right now. And I think that I've seen a, a very close, like this is powerful to me. 
This really, this really is helping me become more productive, personally. Romans 5 1, it says, okay, so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to tell you Romans 4. We're going to look at Romans 5. Romans 5, 1 and 2 say the same thing as Romans 4 condensed, but I'm going to tell you Romans 4 because it's important. It says this, what Romans 4 says, What then did our father Abraham accomplish according to his flesh? The answer is he either accomplished nothing or according to his flesh, or even worse, he accomplished Ishmael according to his flesh. Okay, so I don't know what the answer is, but it's not good. Right? He, did it, he, did not, he did nothing to advance the kingdom according to his flesh. And so if you read all of Romans 4, this is what it says. So then we know that the sons of Abraham are not those that are according to the flesh, but that those that are according to faith. Because Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him his righteousness. That's Romans 4. Okay, so now then Romans 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom, Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace by which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. This is what he's saying. So this is why I call it the icing with the cake. What I just told you about the victory of Jesus Christ, what this just told you about the fact that you were saved by grace through faith, and that's his work, not your works, so none of us have a reason to brag, right? This is the cake. So imagine with me for a second, if you will, your favorite cake. Like I'm, I'm going to use an example of German chocolate cake. I don't know if you like it or not, but German chocolate cake's pretty good cake, right? Red velvet cake. Man, I love me some red velvet cake. Carrot cake, I like carrot cake. In fact, I don't know, maybe I've never met a cake I don't like. I don't know for sure, but man, cake, all right, that's good. So imagine with me for a second your favorite cake, whatever it is. Imagine. Now, take off the icing. All right? That's good. I like cornbread too. You know what I mean? It's okay. Right? It's good, but it's not the same. Okay? The fact that you were saved by grace through faith is the cake. It's your favorite cake. It's a good cake. Don't get me wrong. It's good. It's the cake. But Romans chapter 5, verse 3 tells us the icing on the cake. Now, get, did it just say this? You were, therefore, you were saved by grace through faith, introduced to this faith through Jesus Christ? That's the cake. Now, watch this, verse 3. And not only this. It's not just the cake. There's icing on the cake, too. Watch, this is incredible. I hope, I hope that this means as much to you guys as it's meaning to me lately. And not only this, but now we exult in tribulations, knowing that tribulations bring about perseverance, and perseverance brings about hope, oh, character, and character brings about hope, and now hope does not disappoint. Listen to me, guys. This is the icing on the cake, right? And this is why you're, this is why so many of our churches are so dry. Because we're attempting to serve cake to people with no icing. Okay? I'm just telling you. Listen to this. We were saved by grace through faith, and that's incredible. And I'm glad you were. Because this is what it says. Before you were saved, you were without God, and you had no hope in this world. 
You were like a person that never had it. It's like, it's like Narnia. You remember Narnia? This is what it says about Narnia when the winter came, when the white witch was in control. It says it was always winter, but never Christmas. Whenever you were not saved, it was always winter, but never Christmas. Do you see that? It, it, you, you lived year after year, but you didn't ever have the party. You were without God, and you had no hope in this world whenever you were lost. Okay? But whenever you met Christ, whenever by grace, through faith, you got saved, you were given a cake, man. You were given a birthday. It's your birthday. All right? This is what it says. So now, now you're not without God, and now you're not without hope. See, I got saved. I've got God, and I have hope in this world. But if you don't have, look, but if you don't learn how to rejoice in tribulations, then you won't have character. And if you don't have character, then your hope will disappoint. Listen to me, guys. We've left this out. I've been serving Christ for 20 years. It's not that I hadn't ever heard it, but I hadn't heard it like I needed to hear it. I'm telling you. Listen to me. This is what we teach. If I, I, this, This may be my last chance to speak. If it's my last chance to speak... Let's speak, okay? This is what we teach. We teach seed time and harvest. One-fourth of the segment of the scripture from Genesis that teaches us the principle of seed time and harvest. We think that if you sow, you'll reap. Well, yeah, that's true. It is true. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. But you're not going to do it without day and night, hot and cold, summer and winter, seed time and harvest. As long as the earth remains hot and cold, day and night, summer, winter, seed time and harvest. We only teach seed time and harvest. And we think that we're going to live in a daggum incubator of some sort and that we're never going to experience weather. There's never going to be, we, we, we teach that if you would just accept by grace through faith, you would enter into utopia and that you'd never have any more problems. And then when we encounter problems, we're like, I guess I didn't get it. Curtis must somehow be different than me. Joel Osteen must live his best life now. Or, you, know what I'm saying? you know what I'm saying? He must be immune from problems. It's, there's nothing further from the truth. Nothing further from the truth. We were saved by grace through faith. And now we rejoice in tribulations. So watch. So instead of, instead of seeing Goliath and shaking in your boots... You go, look, just like David, you go, who's that? That's opportunity for me. What's going to be, this didn't David says, what's going to be done for the man that, that wins this fight? What are y'all thinking? I'll fight. What's going to be given to the man that encounters this adversity? Victory. <laughs> Bring it, baby. So this is, this is what, oh, and you start seeing that when this opens up to you, you'll start seeing this. You go, so the, Apostle Paul, so the Apostle Paul says, so now I am convinced that nothing can separate me from the love of God. Nothing. Look, <laughs> do you realize he was executed almost 11 times? The execution hasn't changed from that day to this day. Like when you set out to kill someone, you don't want to like halfway kill them. 
you want to make sure they're dead. If if electric chair kills someone in five seconds, you put them on for two minutes. You want crispy bacon, right? Not medium rare, right? So I'm saying that's execution. That's what they did to the Apostle Paul 11 times, executed him. I think that guy looked like Quasimodo, man. You know, I'm just like, man, filled with the power of God, man, convinced. How did he become convinced that nothing could separate him? Because he went through all kinds of tribulation. He learned how to rejoice in tribulation. So look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you to another. We're going to conclude with this. Hebrews 11. I'm going to wrap up with this. Hebrews 11 and Hebrews 12. And see if you don't hear this story differently in light of what I've said so far. Hebrews 11. Y'all remember this? This is the hall of faith. By faith, these people accomplished incredible things, right? Now then watch. This is what it says. The end of Hebrews 11 and then Hebrews 12 said this. So then now you therefore lay aside every sin that entangles you, all right, and press on towards what you've been called for. I'm, I'm butchering it, but it's close. Go read it for yourself. Okay, Hebrews 11, Hebrews 12. See if, go be good Bereans. See if what I'm telling you is true or not. Hebrews 11, 12. This is what he says. Here's the hall of faith. Now you therefore go and lay aside every sin that easily entangles you. Okay, now watch. This is what I've thought. Chris, this is how I've always heard this until I understood this thing about tribulation. This is what I've always understood until I understood the icing on the cake. I always read Hebrews 11 and got condemned because these great men did great things and I'm a punk right? Cal never be great, right? Until I went and read, like it says, what time would fail me if I took time to talk to you about Samson or Barak or, or Ruth or Esther, David, you know, all these different, they go through all these different people. So I, you go back and read, read the books that we don't read in our cake without icing church, right? Nobody, why does people don't read the Old Testament? Because they don't want to rejoice in tribulations. But if you go read the Old Testament, you find out, oh, even in the middle of tribulations, our God wins. Go read the Old Testament. It's incredible. So go read these stories of these people who did accomplish great things by faith, and here's what you're going to find. They know different than you. They're no different than you. This, so this is what I think he's saying. Pick your hero. So you tell me, who are your heroes from the Bible? Okay? Now, you've, you've made them heroes and in that, you, you have exhibited the ability to forget about their sin. And you just remember what the one or two things that they accomplished by faith. You remember that David fought Goliath. But you forget that David slept with Bathsheba. And, I mean, David, there's not a better person in the Bible more like Jesus than David. Right? But David doesn't measure up to Christ. And you don't either. And you're not. I love that audio adrenaline song, Never Gonna Be As Big As Jesus. Right? Never gonna hold the world in my hands. Never gonna be as big as Jesus. I'm never gonna build a promised land, but that's all right. It's okay with me. You ain't never gonna be that big. You can be more like Christ, but you're never gonna be Christ. You're not our hope. Right? I'm not your hope. I hope, dear God, I hope. No, there's not a man that's your hope other than Jesus Christ. So listen, this is, this is what I'm trying to say. This brings us to conclusion. Listen to what it says here. So then lay aside every sin that entangles you. This is what he's saying. If you have a hero, do you, do you admire anyone? Is, is there anyone that you ad, admire? 
Is there anyone you would like to be like? Have you ever found someone that you respect or admire? Then, for a moment, you have exhibited the ability to set aside their sin and see them as something better, you know, something great. You can see them as something admirable. If you have the ability to do that with someone else, you have the ability to do it for yourself. This is what I'm saying. See Hebrews 11 different with me. So now then, you too lay aside every sin that entangles you, just like you laid aside every sin that entangled them. You forgot all the things that they did wrong, and you remembered that they were great men of faith. They only accomplished, read the story, Hebrews 11, they only accomplished one or two great things by faith. Have you done that? So I'm saying, look, man, I'm not that much different than David, and neither are you. I'm not much, pick your hero. I'm not that much different than Moses or Samson or different things like that. I am a man capable of incredible and stupid things all in the same breath. I can do great things, and I can do stupid things, and I can do both in rapid succession. And it doesn't change. Like, this is what I wanted to believe until I read the Old Testament. I wanted to believe that if I just, if I just met Jesus and I devoted myself to prayer and spiritual disciplines, I would progressively grow into the image of Christ until one day I'd be glorified and everyone would see how incredible I've become. But that's not the story in the scriptures. Look, the, the end of David's days may not have been as glorious as the start of his days. But he's still identified by Scripture as a man after God's heart. He is the prototype. He is the example. He, lit, he was a wreck. Look, I'll give you another one. I just read about this. Joshua and Caleb, two of the greatest heroes of the Bible, the part of the generation that had faith to believe God and possess the land. You know what? Their children didn't follow God. Does that disqualify them from being two of the greatest men in history? No, not according to the scriptures. So then why would we think that if our children don't follow God, we're somehow incapable or incompetent for sharing the good news? It's not true. What I'm telling you is that we believe all kinds of nonsense that doesn't have anything to do with this scripture. And we don't know because we don't ever read it. That's why I'm asking. I'll shut up right here keep going but I'll, I'll stop right with this so what are your excuses this is a question for the discussion table what are your excuses if you're not actively advancing the kingdom of God seeking God's will and doing your best to follow what you know of his will for your life why are you not doing it what are your excuses right what are you what are you waiting for Look, I'm, I'm telling you, I'll, show, I'll be vulnerable with you. I'll tell you, I'm, I keep waiting for someone to tell me it's okay for me to do it. That's, that's what I keep waiting for. This is my excuse. I keep waiting for somebody to recognize that Christ lives in me and that I have a life, I have a story that's worth telling. I don't believe that. So I'm saying, so I keep waiting for somebody else to tell me it's okay to do what God told me to do. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm saying, it won't be good enough for me. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? But you see what I'm saying? I'll make an excuse about it. Thank you. I'd love to go on with that. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to hear what do you know of God's will and then encourage one another 
It says, encourage each other today as long as it's called today, lest any of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It's sin in me that deceives me to think that I'm not qualified to do this stuff. See what I'm saying? And so what do we do? So then we're to know what God's will is for one another's life, and then we're to put courage into one another so that we'll do the thing that God's called us to do. Because you know it already. And can't nobody else tell it to you except for the study of Scripture, God? And you may hear it through some other authority. I'm not, I'm not criticizing it. See what I'm saying? Anyway, dear, let's, let's pray. We'll stop. I hope that you guys enjoy this. You're welcome. I'll stick around for a little bit, but I have to get back to a meeting in Plainview this morning early, so I won't stick around too long. But if you'd like to ask me any specific questions, I'd be glad to. But outside of that, you've got table leaders at your tables. Uh, we're all walking this same walk. We're all experiencing these same things. So just share your heart with one another. And, and I believe these things are practical and relevant to us. So, so take time to, you know, to ask these questions. What do you, here's the two specific questions. What do you believe? The, what's the thing that you know God has communicated to you to do, but that you've hesitated to do it for some reason? And what's your excuse? Right? So why have you not done what you know God has called you to do? Okay? What has God called you to do? And if, you, if you're not actively doing it, why not? Okay? Uh, God, I just thank you for this morning and for the chance to be here. I love being here with these guys. And uh, I just pray that um, these things that you've placed on my heart would minister to them and empower and equip them as much as it has me, God. And even more, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.